lump off mom what's wrong with me can you keep your evil doing quiet finn is dealing with some heavy stuff over here unacceptable i'm not cut out for adventuring finn you messed the beat up i just want to sit here and moan then i'll moan with you buddy this is Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast from the Infinite Guest Network. I'm John Moe, host of Wits, along with being one of the hosts of Conversation Parade. Here with my co-host, rap artist and host of the Secret Skin podcast, Mike Eagle. Hey, Mike. John, you and I love the television show Adventure Time. I think love is, is sometimes... Uh, Love's a word that gets tossed around, but this is true love. Love may even be understating it. We're, uh, we're obsessive, and uh, we're obsessed with analyzing and discussing. And in our obsession, we get together on this podcast and talk about it. We also hear from people who help make the show. Coming up in a little bit here, we're going to hear from Kent Osborne. He is what's called the head of story for Adventure Time. He writes outlines for the episodes, also directs voice actors. The monster, which is the LSP episode where she's living with the wolves, uh-huh. was because we were all watching a lot of Jersey Shore. Uh, <laughs> and so we were like, we just wanted to have an episode where... LSP was living with a bunch of animals, but it was like it was like Jersey Shore. That's Kent Osborne, the head of story for Adventure Time. So that's coming up in a little bit. But first, I want to talk about a character who I found is is unexpectedly controversial, uh, which really surprised <laughs> me because it, it, she's one of my favorite characters. I think for my wife, she is she is my wife's absolute favorite character. But, really? Uh, yeah, but somebody was writing on, on Kotaku.com and said that Tree Trunks is the worst character in Adventure Time. Yoo-hoo! And was very upset at how selfish Tree Trunks is and uh, gets herself in desperate situations, gets in way over her head, uh, follows the King of Ooh, who is, is clearly a charlatan, and... Um, and just bakes too many pies and freaks out about stuff a little too often. And I, I just had the complete opposite reaction because to me, a bad character is a character that is inconsistent or makes no sense. But I think hmm. Tree Trunks makes all the sense in the world. She is self-involved. She is vain. She is self-obsessed. And she bakes pies. Now come on over. I baked y'all an apple pie. And flirts with men. I'm the sexiest adventurer in the world. Uh, and the baking and the flirting seem to go together in a lot of ways. She gets herself in over her head in pursuit of the things that she wants, but it all makes perfect sense to me. And I'm charmed by Polly Lou Livingston's uh, voice acting as as Tree Trunks. But uh, but even without that, I just I'm completely down with Tree Trunks. How about you? I mean, personally, I'm not a huge Tree Trunks fan. No, and, and I feel I'm not. I'm really not. And it's 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 nothing to do with the the, the structural integrity of the character. Mm-hmm. She just makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> I think is why is that? Is what it comes down to to me. I I I'm, There's something about uh, the quality of the voice, which is you know the voice acting absolutely is amazing, but yeah. the the um, the syrupy um, southern drawl uh-huh. and the flirting and the pies, which might be a euphemism for something. I'm not sure if they're <laughs> I'm not sure if these pies are on the up and up 
Mr. Pig's been so kind, helping me <laughs> tend to my rose garden. <laughs> you know, it's funny, as we talked about, uh, you know, Fiona and Cake before, and we alluded to um, sexuality of a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe there's a layer of Adventure Time um, that deals in euphemisms of 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 young people coming of age and, and, and puberty and that sort of thing. And the vibe I get from Tree Trunks kind of puts me in in that space a little bit that 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 I'm never quite sure um, what she's up to. Uh-huh. You know, her, her motivations don't necessarily seem to be overt all the time. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I'm not, you know, I'm not... Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with the character itself, but I'm not necessarily excited to see her show up. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there, is, there is the episode where she and Mr. Pig uh, insist on, on making out everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> everywhere you go, they're, they're making out, which just grosses everybody out. You two need to hide your love or else you'll end up making the whole world throw up. Because, like, romantic love and expressions of romantic love are are generally frowned upon in the world of Adventure Time, I've found. I mean, Very true. Like, uh, Jake and Lady Rainicorn are a couple. They have had children who instantly became adults. Um, and there's a little bit of smooching, but really not much. And aside from that, there there are very few existing couples uh that you see and and none that are in the sort of crazy in love young people kind of way that that uh that you would expect i mean finn has had relationships but they they tend to be pretty bumpy ice king really doesn't date anybody uh he dates his own foot at one point i saw the episode (laughs) where he draws a princess face on his foot and begins a a steady relationship with his foot but you don't really see that happening so much there's a the sensibility of the show really frowns on uh, any expression of of romance especially making out and in that way tree trunks and mr pig are are deeply transgressive. They are lawbreakers. Yeah, they're habitual world. line steppers in yeah. that in that regard. In that regard. But you know, and, and it does seem that there is an um there's an association of romantic relationships and tragedy on the show. Even in the most recent um, phases that we've seen Mr. Pig and Tree Trunks in, she was about to basically ask him for a divorce before yeah. Sweet Pea showed up. Mr. Pig, I think we should get a di- Okay, run. Go, 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 go. Oh, oh, this changes everything. Hello. Right, and and the the one thing saving their marriage is apparently the embodiment of evil itself wrapped in baby flesh. <laughs> right. <Let's see. laughs> but wouldn't it be great if all we had to do to ward off the evil inside of children was to be sweet to them. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Right. Give them treats and be sweet to them and 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 put them to bed. I mean, but I I don't know. I do love tree trunks. I do think it's uh, in early episodes she's referred to as, as being a, a 
crazy old lady. I just realized that Tree Trunks is old and bonkers. But when she gets married, her mother comes to the ceremony and she is getting married and, and mothering children. So I'm not sure exactly how old we are to perceive her as being. Um, but but maybe that maybe this is what is driving you crazy about tree trunks. And maybe this is what bothers other people about tree trunks is that she she is old, but she is raising children, and she is she has uh, a mother who is young enough to try to disrupt a wedding ceremony, and she uh, kind of lives on her own, but also needs everybody to protect her in some way. Mm-hmm. She's really not fitting in well with society. She's kind of a kind of a a wild card. Definitely is a wild card, and um, I mean. I get like this weird Paula Dean vibe too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I say, I say, you know, there's a Southern Belle thing, but then there's a, there's certain associations with with Southern Bells, <laughs> okay. you know, that, yeah. that ring different alarms for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Genteel Southern women, I suppose. An, an undercurrent of of malice or the potential for malice is is certainly there in a in a racial way. Absolutely, yeah. I have to be on guard for for such things. <laughs> you've, got, right, you've got you've got to be. I can't on, eat everybody's apple pie, John. Okay. <laughs> Why are you throwing the pie away? Flies wanted it. They can have it. Anyways, don't y'all worry, cause a new pie is coming in the wag of a lamby's tail. So there's an episode I wanted to talk about, and there's an episode named after a character, and those are always fun because they're very yeah. confusing. Right. But um, this episode is called Evergreen. Have you seen the Evergreen episode, John? I was just watching it this morning. Um, but our main character in this episode, whose name is Evergreen, uh, is an ice elemental wizard. And mm. I suppose at this time on Ooh. There are these, you know, there's dinosaurs, but there's also these elemental wizards and these these four elements. There's Evergreen, who's the ice elemental. There's Slimy D, who's the slime elemental. Chatsberry, who's the candy elemental. And then there's a fire elemental. I didn't write his name down. Uh, oh, Balthus D. Okay, he's the. Fu- okay, thank you. The four elements of the world, uh, which we often would hear, are fire, air, water, and. Earth. Earth. Thank you. Uh, in, <laughs> in this telling are ice, fire, candy, and slime. And I thought that's, that's pretty interesting to have those four elements. Um, I've, I've definitely noticed that, you know, fire is a big deal. On Adventure Time, candy is a huge deal. Um, ice, but mostly just in terms of the Ice King. Um, and slime, not so much. I know there's a slime princess, but yeah, I, I didn't th- think that her role was was um, any more important than a lot of other princesses that we've discussed before. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because in the modern world of Ooh, the Ice Kingdom, uh, though sparsely inhabited, certainly features prominently. The Candy Kingdom, obviously, the Flame Kingdom. And then slime is just represented by one librarian. Nothing right. against librarians, but you expect a much more, for an, for one of the four elements, you expect a much larger presence. Right. Um, so that's, you know, that's interesting. And and it, and those being the four elements, it kind of leaves some things out. Like uh, the nightosphere, I figure, would have some mm-hmm. The dead importance. world. Yeah. Right. Um, and then, you know, um, magic, I guess they use magic, but that's not one of the elements. And I thought that was pretty interesting, too. 
But now, um, this this episode, as I recall, is all about the forging of the crown that'll become the Ice King's crown. Absolutely, because um, an early version of our of our uh, infamous comet is approaching Ooh, mm-hmm. and um, Evergreen, the Ice Elemental Wizard feels like uh, there's got to be some weapon form to fend off this comet from striking ooh and um, he wants to form this crown um, that enhances the wearer's most uh, innermost wish so they need to get wishing power from the eyes of Magwood who is the lava dog right in wishing magic is, is supposedly a dangerous thing. The Candy Elemental says, This wish may see things in you you cannot see yourself. Which I find interesting, too, given how we've seen the crown affect people. And, mm-hmm. and wondering, if, you know, is there an element of um, of inner desire that it acts on, aside from the traits of, of you know, blue skin and white hair and ice powers that it gives gives the wearer. And it's important, too, I think, that the the young semi-anthropomorphic uh humanistic quasi-dinosaur uh that is mm-hmm. that is the protagonist in this story is named gunter Gunther! right exactly exactly and so it makes you wonder if if uh that's a coincidence probably not or if whoever is closest to the person wearing the crown is just automatically gunter no matter what because i think too in the simon and marcy episode doesn't he call Marceline Gunter at one point? He, he does. He yeah. does. Uh, I think the very last time that you see him um, wear the crown, he calls her Gunter. And I think that's even after he takes it off, where you can tell that he's been physically changed a little bit more. Like maybe he's crossed the threshold into being, you know, permanently the Ice King. Yeah, he, uh, he calls Marceline Gunter. Simon, stop! It's frozen! Not now, Gunter. I'm doing big people things. There was an interesting point in Evergreen where um, Gunter asks Evergreen, is he his dad? And mm-hmm. Evergreen says, no. No, but I stole your egg and mutated your brain. So I'm assuming if, you know, I'm assuming he, he named him Gunter as well. But I thought that line was interesting because it kind of gets at the entire idea of flawed fatherhood that continues to run yeah. through Adventure Time. <laughs> well, and, you know? and since this is the earliest point in the timeline that we've ever encountered with Adventure Time, it it kind of bakes in flawed fatherhood right at the very beginning. Like, we know right. we're off to a, a start in a society where the dads are just not going to work out all that well, clear through right. uh, through Joshua being problematic as a dad to Finn and Jake and Jermaine. And Martin and and even, you know, what a terrible dad Jake actually is, although, right. as, as you've said in a previous interview on this podcast, we're all expected to kind of overlook that. I mean, I definitely do overlook it. I overlook it every episode. <laughs> I rarely ever think about Jake's um, wife or his children yes. <laughs> at all. <laughs> and the fact that he's hanging out in this um, treehouse. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's bad fatherhood. Poor fatherhood has been has been baked in. And it's, you know, and to the point. Well, I mean, it's interesting to think about the fact that I'm still horrified about Martin being Finn's dad. If through the entirety of the show all we've dealt with is bad fathers right you know? i wonder why it is that that's still shocking to me that finn would have a bad father well and when you think about the way the way life and reproduction work isn't 
I stole your egg and mutated it. Isn't that what fatherhood really actually is oh, in the first place? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's that's that one I'm gonna have to chew on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but to um just to, to, to wrap up that uh that evergreen story, of course yeah. it's interesting how it gives it gives rise to the the effects of the crown of the Ice King since Gunter the apprentice dinosaur ends up having to wear this crown. Mm-hmm. And Gunter, um, Gunter's most sacred inner wish is to actually be Evergreen. Then when he wears the crown, he takes on Evergreen's white hair and long pointy nose and and clumsy a clumsy version of Evergreen's ice powers, which um, Evergreen's ice powers are very interesting to me because um, just, you know, from my upbringing, it kind of looks like Evergreen is kind of throwing up gang signs before he, <laughs> before he shoots out his ice powers. Uh-huh. But um, Gunter's powers end up um, just kind of shooting from his hands in the way that Ice King does in kind of a more um, clumsy fashion where it seems like Evergreen kind of has to invoke it. Um, the crown has given the wearer its inability to just kind of generate those ice powers on his own. But then these end up becoming the traits of the wearer of the crown. They end up growing the white skin i mean the blue skin and the uh, the long white hair and the pointy nose and having the ice powers you know the more i see other people encounter the crown like in the evergreen episode where where uh, urgence evergreen and then later gunter acquire this crown and this power and and you know when you see there's another episode where where finn gets the crown in a sort of alternate world and goes insane and and takes revenge on this gang that was harassing uh, his family. Um, when you think about all that, the Ice King wears the crown pretty comfortably. Like, he's mm-hmm. lonely and he's kind of screwed up, but he's good for a game of basketball or just kind of, or, right. you know, putting on a puppet show with Abraka Daniel. Um, and, and, you know, he's... He's doing okay, all things considered, and he's immortal, so that's working out to some extent, I suppose. Even though it well, might well, be well, here's a question too: since the crown does seem to engage your most, uh, your deepest wish, along with giving you these powers, and of course, um, Simon's wish was to reunite with his quote-unquote princess Betty, and that mm-hmm. kind of manifested in him chasing princesses when we, especially when we first meet him, and he goes through terrible lengths to do so. Um, and since he does seem to have softened some, yes, I wonder if his innermost wish has changed some to where his where he now most just kind of wants to connect with people, right? And and that's happening in clumsy ways, uh, rather than the the straight up goal of trying to be with a princess. Yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent he would he would just as soon be best buds with Finn and Jake and and have real friends as he would to marry a princess. I mean, he wants, he wants both those things, but it's certainly not, uh, he's not as princess obsessed as he maybe once was. But, and then, and then just one, the one last thing about Evergreen is that, you know, at the end of it, we see all the story unfold and it looks uh, very real and it looks very important to the mythology of the world of who, but, um, at the end of the episode, it's, you know, Ice King jumping up and down in bed. Come to now! Come to now! Come to now! Uh, so it appears that Ice King was having this dream. Now, of course, the dream could be, you know, um, him 
reliving that historical moment. Man, what a dream. Uh, do you guys ever have that dino boy dream? Or it could just be a dream. It could just be complete nonsense and, and fancy, although I wonder then why we're being shown it. It could be the crown having a dream. It could be the crown <clears throat> having a memory and then just running it through the nearest brain that it's imprisoned. Yeah, I just think it's it's, it's interesting story-wise that they, they, they could go either way with it. It could be absolute historical canon or it could just be a story they wanted to tell and they just made it a dream. Yeah, but we know the importance of old guys' dreams in Adventure Time. <laughs> That's true. all Prismo this was. True. <laughs> Prismo is nothing but the dream of a wrinkly old man. Kent Osborne is the head of story for Adventure Time that involves directing voice actors, and he also works on writing and storyboarding. He's written dozens of episodes of the show, and he's the voice of Bounce House Princess and Finn and Jake's messed up late father, Joshua. Kent, thanks for joining the Conversation Parade. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Walk me through what a head of story does. I've, I've never known anybody who's a head of story before. Yeah, me neither. And uh, it's yeah. It's, well, first of all, it's a very misleading uh, title. It sounds like all, it sounds like all the stories come from me. Yes, <laughs> that I'm in charge of everybody, but that's not the case. Okay. Um, it's basically um, uh, well, there's a story editor position, which is that's the person who's sort of uh, in charge of the generating an outline uh, that gets sent to the executives for approval, and then once they approve it, then it gets sent to the or handed off to the board teams. Uh, and then there, and the, I'm, I think it's been explained on this podcast before, but the, the outlines are like two to three pages, and they're very, um, they don't have a lot of uh, dialogue or a lot of jokes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're, they're just like the, the general suggestion of what's going to happen. Yeah, they're like, they're, the story's there, like the beginning, middle, and end. Right. And it's like a blueprint for, you know, the, all the sort of action that takes place. But then they get changed a, a lot, depending on the uh, team, some some. Some boarders like to just board exactly what's there, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then some like to uh, throw out, you know, uh, sections and, and expand on sections that they like, or e- even introduce new stuff. And so, uh, back to the question, the story editor is sort of just the person who's like responsible for making sure that the outlines get generated, and you know, kind of um, in the writers' room. And then, and I had done that position before on uh, Flapjack, which is where I met Penn and uh, Pat McHale and some other people that work on the show now. Mm-hmm. And then, I, so I started working in the writer's room on, uh, around season two. Uh, I was doing boards on season one, and then I was in the writer's room for season two, and then we had, we had uh, story editors that were sort of coming and going, and, uh, and then Penn wanted me to take that position, but then the head of the studio offered me the, because I was also directing the actors, so then he said, well, why don't you be head of story? Mm. But I think that maybe it's just a... a I don't know if it's a better title or a more confusing <laughs> title. Uh, it could be both. Yeah, I got ner- nervous about it because I, I, there's so many people that work on the show that are, are contribute so much and are, you know, all the, the boarders are just like they're sort of like the unsung heroes of the of the crew. And I remember I was telling Penn, I was like, I don't like this title had a story makes it sound like I'm too important. And he's like, nah, man, had a story. It's great. <laughs> like, he was really, <laughs> he was really happy for me. So, uh, so are you the keeper of like the Bible of the show of like every episode needs to have this and this character can always has to do this in this way and, and that kind of thing? Not, not, not really. I mean, I, I, I can offer my opinion on stuff like that and, and I can, you know, fight for things I believe in, but um, basically like Adam Muto, who's, he's, he's, He's my boss, and he's uh-huh. he's pretty much the one who gets to decide 
um, like what we're going to, uh, stories we're going to come up with. And when, when Penn was here, it was, it was Penn. And then now Adam's taken over for him. It seems like over the years, Adventure Time has become more, a lot more continuous in the storyline, more serialized, fewer standalone episodes. I mean, there's still standalones like the Walnuts and Rain where Finn and Jake fall down these different holes and have adventures and then everything's yeah. sort of back to normal. But how do you balance the idea of the, the serialized thing as opposed to the more episodic standalone thing? Uh, sometimes like, well, we just, um, if we, if we're writing like uh, a bunch of like kind of heavy episodes that have a lot of uh, mythology in it and they're, and we do like three or four in a row, we'll, we'll Adam will say, okay, let's, let's do like a kind of a light episode or let's do something that's, um, uh, you know, easy on the, on the, uh, art department. Cause they get, uh-huh. <laughs> they get these episodes that all take place on a completely different world. And, you know, they have to design all these new landscapes and characters and props and, uh, they just they they get super burned out because they're just like working so hard. So we'll just like okay, let's just do a real simple episode: Finn and Jake and Bimo in the treehouse. Right. Um, so we'll we'll kind of do stuff like that. But it's it's pretty fluid and organic the way we sort of the the serialized stuff. I was I was looking over like just episodes today just to like remind myself of certain things. And I was looking at like the first Lemon Grab episode we w- wrote. It wasn't until over a season later that we did a second one. Uh-huh. And uh, and I think because when the boarders pitch, all the writers and and the other boarders and and the uh, people, anyone who's going to work on the episode down the line will come to the pitch so they can kind of see it from the beginning. Uh, so you're kind of pitching in in front of everybody, and when things are introduced, like a new character or something, everyone's there and they see it. And then everyone's kind of like thinking about it for a while, and then you kind of you keep writing stories, but you don't know how the episode's going to come out. So when it comes back and it's animated and everyone's watching it, uh, sometimes it's not until yeah, months and months later that we're like, oh, we should pick up where we left off with this character, or we should do something more with this, or, you know. So the, so everyone kind of had to wait until the Lemon Grab episode was done before they could really start imagining where I, he goes next? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh, um, boy. Because I watched that first one, and then all I could think of is, that's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life, and I need more <laughs> episodes with that character right away. Unacceptable! Yeah, that that was a real uh well it's such a good episode because it introduces Lemongrab but also it's it's so good with with uh you know Princess Bulgum and Finn and and that was you know we just we were like okay what do we do that you know she's 13 which we do and or uh yeah and and I I'd been watching uh like Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and I'm like oh well she should be like she can't she can't rule you know like there's, I think in that in that outline it was uh it was, I think we just wrote, like, uh, her uncle comes. You know, it's just like, it was like a really generic, you know, one-dimensional character. It's like her uncle, and he's a grouch. And then wow. uh, Jesse and Tom, like, came up with the whole, uh, you know, lemon grab and who he was and that she had made him. And, uh, you know, they, uh, and then, uh, yeah, Justin Roiland doing the voice uh, made it kind of the, it was the final uh, thing. Uh, the final ingredient, yeah. Unacceptable! Um, I want to back up in, in your career a little bit because this is something that that I didn't know until I until I started started looking into you, Kent, and, yeah, and yeah. getting your whole story. Uh, that, that you were—it's like American Beauty. Uh, <laughs> you you were an actor before getting into animation. You were in School Ties oh, yeah. w- with Brendan Fraser, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. Yeah, and Chris was, O'Donnell. And Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> and was me. The, and of course, Kent Osborne. Yeah. Was the plan, like when you were growing up, and, and was the plan that 
it was acting all the way. Is that and then we'll get to the the, the sudden swerve in the road in a yeah. little bit. But was that always the plan? Uh, yeah, when I was in high school, I wanted to be an actor, and I have a I have a brother who's a year younger, and he wanted to be an artist. So he, that was our like I was like I'm going to go to acting school, and he, he was going to go to uh, art school, and then he okay. got into animation when he was at school, and he ended up going to Cal Arts and and uh, studying like experimental animation. Uh, mm. And then I was, yeah, I was trying to be an actor, and I was living in New York, and I was uh, taking acting classes, and I, yeah, somehow got into that movie. I'd met the casting director, and I had, like, you know, five lines, or four lines uh-huh. that were all, like, um, the lines were basically, like, yeah, it was just, like, me, like, agreeing with people. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know, and then I moved to L.A. to, when the movie came out, because I, I said, oh, I, I should go to Los Angeles and really capitalize on this. And so I was auditioning for things, but I'd, I'd get really super nervous uh, auditioning and I so I kind of it only took a couple years to realize I was really bad at auditioning and mm. maybe acting and uh, <laughs> at that point I started writing stuff so I was writing stuff that I could act in mm-hmm. um, and that my brother could make and so we made a movie together that I wrote and he directed and I like acted in it um, and then at that point uh, I got my first job in animation on Spongebob because the uh, Steve Hillenberg, the creator, had seen this movie that we made, and okay. he liked it. And they needed a writer for second season, so I went in and interviewed and uh, got got this like st- uh, writing position on SpongeBob, uh, writing outlines. And then a storyboarder left, and they asked me to do storyboards. And I could, I'd never, you know, gone to art school or anything. I, I was like, I can't draw. And they said, just do stick figures, uh-huh. and we'll clean them up. And uh, so I would do. That's how I started doing boards. I would just draw like really terrible draw my drawings are still terrible but i could draw <laughs> i can draw a little better now i can <laughs> that's interesting so so a storyboard artist it's more about their writing ability than a a consistent kind of visual uh thing that they're that they're seeing or portraying uh yeah it, it depends on the show i think but all, all the shows that i've worked on have been um very board driven so um they they don't have a problem with they would they, I think they would rather have someone who can do really rough drawings but can can beat it out and have funny jokes and do draw good expressions and then it can get cleaned up by someone that can actually draw and that's a really hard position to have too as a revisionist where you're taking someone's really rough drawings and you're trying to you're trying to draw them on model uh, but also retain the sort of uh, energy of these like really rough um, drawings. Some of my drawings are super. They're just like you know. Like stick figures, it's, it's yeah, it's yeah. A, a thankless job cleaning <laughs> up my drawing. Um, now, you say that you kind of struggled with auditioning and and kind of went down a different road. Is there something that animation is giving you that that acting doesn't, besides more comfort? Like, what, what's it fulfilling for you that acting never did? Oh, I, well, I think I'm better at it. I mean, I think I'm a better writer than I am an actor. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I almost felt like when I was trying to be an actor, it was like, people say, like, what do you do? And it was almost, I was ashamed to say, oh, I'm an actor, or I'm trying to be an actor. Or, <laughs> because there's so many people trying to do it, and everyone is, you get really desperate, and you're, you kind of do crazy things. Like, you you uh, just you go into an, a, a room to audition, and you're, you're trying so hard to impress them, and you want them to like you, and you want to get the job, and you, you know, they're, you, you, you don't you you say things that you wouldn't normally say, and you're right. like as you're saying them, you're like I remember people say like you know hi how are you, and I'd say terrific, and I'm like I never say terrific, and <laughs> I was like why am I saying that like why am I acting like this? It's just it's embarrassing. When I was uh, before I got into radio, I was an actor also, and uh, 
sort of one of my final moments of acting, I went in for a voiceover audition for a McDonald's commercial and everything was on the line and yeah. it was between me and, and somebody else. And the line, of course, was the McDonald's tagline, which was, did somebody say McDonald's? Yeah. And so I went up to the mic and here's how I delivered it. Did somebody say McDonald's? <laughs> right. <laughs> It's the wrong word. <laughs> just hit the wrong word. I'm like, yeah. I have just, I have just got to find a new line of work. I'm doing this all wrong. Oh no. Um, now, um, you uh, direct the actors. You yeah. are the the voice actor director. Uh, yeah. What goes into that specifically? Um, well, it's uh, yeah. You're you're basically. I mean, I'm I'm so you're, I'm in the booth and I'm with uh, there's the uh, Robert who's our engineer and he's he's kind of you know, working all the controls and the levels, and and the actors are in uh, on the other side of the glass in this booth. Uh, and then we have uh, there's two supervising directors on our show, so depending on which episode it is, one of them will be in there with me. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, uh, Dick, our writing assistant, in there, and we and we're basically just going through this this the script. We run it like a radio play. We try to have everyone in the room at the same time. Um, sometimes schedules uh, prevent that from happening, but Usually everyone's in in there, and then we'll just it's 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 kind of easy. You just kind of say, okay, we're gonna you know we're gonna start at the top, and we'll run to the end of the scene, and then everyone kind of just they run it in in real time like a radio play, and then uh, I like to just run it a couple times, and then go back and get pickups if there's like if somebody says. Uh, did someone say McDonald's? Then we'll go. <laughs> we'll go. Don't hit the word say. Yeah. yeah do anything <laughs> uh, but stuff that. like that. Yeah. Um, usually the the like. 80% of the time, you're just asking, you're like, that was great, just do it a little faster, just in case. Now, the, the readings sometimes are so specific, I find. Like, the, like the, they're very, the, it's good acting, but it's very, very specific acting. Do you, I can't imagine you give a lot of line readings, but, but how granular do you get about, about how the line is being delivered? Uh, it, some, like, once in a while, there'll be, like, a really specific uh, way we want it said because it was pitched that way in the board, and we all laugh, so we're trying to get it as close to that as possible. But I think that's a, that's a, you don't want to, you got to kind of, like, pick your battles. You got you to gotta know, oh, that's not the way we were thinking it should have been said, but that works, too. Um, so you kind of, like, uh, I, I kind of learned that from Penn because he, he would be in there in the beginning, and... and uh, There'd be they they would read it in a totally different way, but he'd be like, "Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. That works too," you know. And yeah, and, uh, and that's a good way to not burn out your actors because I think a mistake some people make is they they have it in their head how they want it to sound every single line, and so they're trying. And it's hard when you're on the other side and you're it, you're being told how to say it because then you don't feel really connected to what you're doing. And um, so yeah, I try not to get once in a while. I'll give I'll I'll give a line reading, and once in a while an actor will they'll say, just give me a line reading, just tell me how you want me to say it. But usually we don't have to worry about it with our main actors, because they've been doing it, you know, for so long. Like, Hinden and I mean, John and Jeremy and Hinden and Nikki and uh, and Tom are just, they, they just come in and, like, their, their first take is usually right on. Yeah. Um, Do you have an example of the, the kind of line that you're talking about, where it was on a storyboard in a particular way, and you really had to to hammer it to get to get it that way. Oh, um, well, I, uh, I heard Jeremy on the, uh, his interview where he was talking about uh, wands of a wimps, and I remember uh, we had to like. Right. I think we told him how to say that to say yeah. it a specific way. Wands of a wimps. 
Um, all right. So now I, I've asked you to to provide a little demonstration of what directing is. And we'll, oh, yeah. ju- we'll just see how this goes. I, I've got some lines here from the episode Bad Timing, uh, okay. which, which was one of your episodes. And uh, these are lines from Johnny, who is an old friend of Lumpy Space Princess. She's staying at his apartment overnight, but in a different room because they're not married or anything. And uh, I found this character to be incredibly complicated and and kind of kind of winsome and sad. And I I was wondering where you would go with the direction of this. So I'm going to read a couple of these lines and just give me an example of how you would make adjustments in in the unlikely event that I had been cast in this part. Okay. Do you feel this couch? Because it's where you're going to sleep. Seriously, it's getting late, and I don't want you walking home, so I insist. I'll be in the other room, sleeping peacefully and dreaming about you. Ooh, I like, I like what you did at the end. Uh-huh. The <laughs> slowing it down? Yeah, yeah. I was um, helped by the ellipses that you had written into the oh, script. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say an overall note there would be to be a little more uh, cool and, and um, sort of seductive. Okay. Uh, if, if that would help. And... Um, so am I laying on the charm, or am I trying yeah, to be innocent? Yeah, that first line, I think it's because uh, she's. I think Alice P says something like, "I feel." I feel the same way, Johnny. Oh, okay. So um, it's a so response. Then he's kind of like he's playing on that. Do you feel this couch? And then so it's kind of like he's saying something seductive. <laughs> what? And then he uh, quickly uh, uh, changes gears, and and uh, it's almost like you're like, "Just kidding." Because uh, it's where you're gonna sleep. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let me give it another try. Okay. All right. Do you feel this couch? Because it's where you're going to sleep. Seriously, it's getting late, and I don't want you walking home, so I insist. I'll be in the other room, sleeping peacefully and dreaming about you. Oh, that was very good. Did I take it too far? No, no. That was, that was great. Okay, good. Not as good as Mark uh, Prux, though. No, probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I, I will cede that. Uh, in the episode where part of where Shelby's butt gets cut off and turned into oh. a little brother named Kent, is yes. the little butt brother named after you? Yeah. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was very. Uh, <laughs> we were writing that episode, and then someone was like, "What should his name be?" And I joking, I was like, "Kent," and Penn was like, "Yeah, fine." <laughs> like it was, it was very quick. <laughs> that's, that's the glamorous world of show business, yeah. right there, isn't yes. it? <laughs> You know, a lot of these episodes I'm I'm watching and I'm wondering, I mean, I'm not wondering where they're coming from. I know they're coming from people with imaginations, but but where does an idea get started and and then get the necessary momentum to go through all the work to become an episode? Um, uh, well, some, sometimes some of our boarders actually will write outlines of stories they want to do. So like um, Tom and Jesse and Steve will... They'll still kind of like come to the writers' meeting and say, "Hey, I have an idea," and they'll give us like something they've written out, and uh, and and usually they're um, they're super solid stories at that point, yeah. um, which is something I haven't experienced on other shows. Like usually the borders and the, the writers are kind of like separate, um, but uh, uh, so yeah, shows like uh, like Walnuts and Rain or uh, The Vault or Sons of Mars or Goliad or Apple Wedding were all just kind of ideas that came from borders. Mm-hmm. But then when we're in the writer's room, uh, sometimes we're trying to, like, expand on things that we've already established. Um, but then sometimes it's, like, super simple. Like, there's a time sandwich uh, was kind of inspired by this. There's this Paula Dean video where it's, like, they've slowed <laughs> it down a little bit. Uh-huh. It, sounds, it sounds like she's on Quaaludes. And she's oh, like, yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah. And she's, like, biting into, like, a 
donut cheeseburger or something, and they're like, <laughs> the girls are probably going to see this and say, y'all are out of your crazy minds. <laughs> it's really funny, and I just kept watching that, and I was like, oh, we should do, I just kept saying, we should do an episode where they, where Finn and Jake get slowed down, and they're talking really slow, just because I thought it was so funny. So, like, Time Sandwich came from that, just, like, simple uh, idea. Uh, I think, like, The Limit, uh, with the one where Jake's stretching in the maze. Right. Um, that came from, there was, like, a Radio Lab episode about, like, endurance, and we were talking about that, like, being, being like, stretched to the limit, and uh, The Monster, which is the LSP episode where she's living with the wolves, uh-huh. was because we were all watching a lot of Jersey Shore. Uh, <laughs> and so we were, like, we just wanted to have an episode where LSP was living with a bunch of animals, but it was, like, it was like Jersey Shore. Tony! Jessica's cheating on you! Oh, my glab, oh, my glab, oh, my glab. Look, I'm sorry. I know, it's none of my business. I know. Because I think Tony has a right to know, Stephanie. Nuh-uh, Miranda, I do not like Tony. And sometimes we just rip off, not rip off, but, uh, like Princess Cookie started because we were talking about Die Hard, and we we're like, "Oh, we should do one where it just opens with like a siege going on," you know. Okay, okay. How about I give you a big cowboy hat? Then will you let the hostages go? Um, <laughs> now, I, I, in high school, I was a really cool guy and had lots of girlfriends, so I don't understand this reference. But I know people who say there's a lot of Dungeons and Dragons in this show. Is is that a big part of it too? Oh yeah, well, especially for Penn, I think that's his probably biggest influence on the the, the tone of the show, and because um, he played a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, uh-huh. and he said in interviews before that when we're writing, he's it's like he's like playing the game, he's rolling dice and seeing what happens, and okay, what happens next, and um, <laughs> he's a dungeon master for the writers' room. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, pretty much. Kent Osborne, thank you so much. Ah, uh, thank you. Conversation Parade, an Adventure Time podcast, is a production of the Infinite Guest Network and American Public Media and hosted by Open Mike Eagle and me, John Moe. The Adventure Time end credits song that you've heard on this podcast was written and performed by Ashley Erickson. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Thanks to Larissa Anderson, Steve Nelson, and Peter Clowney for helping make this podcast, and a special thanks as well to Cartoon Network. We want to hear from you. Go to infiniteguest.org. You can leave a comment in our new comment section. we got a comment section for each episode of the show. You can also click on the link on that page to send us an email. And we're on Twitter. I'm at John Moe. Mike's at Mike underscore Eagle. And we're both at Infinite Guest.